Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. This week, instead of what are we building, we're going to be talking about what is God growing? Because we're going to be talking about, um, what is that, hyperbole? I don't know what it is, but hyperbole. Hyperbole? Hyperbole. I don't know how to say it. But you know what I'm talking about. So it's just using uh, basically an example to show you something that's meaning something else. So I'm going to go ahead, read the scripture for today, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get started. So the scripture for today is 1 Corinthians 3, um, 5 through 9. If you want, you can follow along on your phone, Bible, whatever you like to do. All right. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. All right, let's pray. Um, Lord, this, this is your word to us now. You have divinely and uh, over history gathered the words and um, the revelations of what you've done and collected them in a book for us to know you. And this right here is your word for us. And we want to treat it as such. This, is, this book is it's more important and it's more valuable than any other book and any other actual thing that we have. And so we want to treat it as such. Um, Lord, today we want our minds uh, to be renewed with what's true. We want our hearts to hear your truth and take comfort in your truth. And we want, our, we want our bodies and we want our actions to actually reflect what's true and what's good. So anything today that's not true, please make it fall flat and make it go on deaf ears. But anything that's true, good, eternal for us, let it go forth forever. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so in the book of Corinthians, the first book of Corinthians, in 118 through 3.4, Paul takes a lot of time uh, and explains why the Corinthians prefer one leader over another. Now, I said this last week, Corinth is like the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean world in the first century. Like, it goes down. Whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, okay? And if you read through 1 Corinthians, I mean, there is a lot of stuff happening in the church, let alone the city as a whole. Um, <clears throat> So, but at the very beginning, Paul's examining why these Corinthians prefer one leader over another leader, and mainly that they value, that they put this value on human wisdom and elegance. Um, but after 3-4, what we're going to get to is 3-5, he switches up and takes a, a more direct approach. And this is what he says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants. Through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. What, after all, is Apollos? That's, a, that's like a funny question, right? Like, 
you don't say, I don't ever say like, I mean, what after all is J? You know, what is J? Um, there's kind of like a hint of sarcasm to this. And he's like kind of trying to take these idols that they put up and like kind of lift it or take it low. So what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants. And now without context, you might think, oh, okay, only servants, you know, that's an honorable thing to be a servant of the Lord. That's a good thing. But um, well, we think that because in the Bible, we hear people in the Old Testament who are servants of the Lord, and it's like a worthy title, like Abraham and uh, David. Um, but this is actually not Paul's point here. It's actually almost an insult. Um, to the Gentiles' ears, to the non-Jewish people who don't know the Bible, the word servant means low social status, like low, low social status. So ser servant doesn't claim any sort of uh, authority. So if Paul wanted to claim authority, he would be like, apostle. My name is Apostle Paul. I saw Jesus. You know, but he's saying that we're only servants. So when they think that these two people they're lifting up, Apollos and Paul, they're like, wait, that's not a kind of guy I would want to follow. So why is that important here? Because the Corinthians have been fighting in-house. Um, they'll be like, one, one side will be like this. Yo, that's what they say back then. I follow Apollos, uh, that powerful speaker. You got to hear his sermons. You g seriously, he has the best sermon series, okay? You got to check him out at the scrolls at the library. And then the other side will be like, no, 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 no. Paul, he's the man of God. He actually saw Jesus, holes in the hand, so glorious, it blinded him. Testimony, insane. But what the Corinthians are doing is they're dividing and they're distancing themselves between their leaders, right? They're making Christian cliques and looking down their noses at other Christians in the city with disdain uh, for anyone who follows any other leader but their leader. Does that sound relevant for today? So what Paul is saying to these people is, look, I follow Jesus. That makes me a mere servant, actually a slave to Christ. And I try to faithfully do the things God assigns, uh, <clears throat> assigns me. His plans, by his power, for his glory. If you follow me, you will die to your humanly status like I did. Because I had a status above all Jews. But you will die to your humanly status and become a simple servant of the true king. And this would have made the Corinthians have a bit of a mind explosion. I don't know if that's a word, but I think it is. So they would have just heard this and been like kind of reeling. And guess what? It only gets worse for them in this way in the next verse. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. Now, he was saying that they're a servant. And it, I think the Greek actually kind of translates to like table waiter. Um, but it does. I, I know it sounds weird. But so back then... People who waited on tables were servants, like in the house, you know. Um, but Paul's saying he and Apollos are like farm workers, the sort of manual laborers the elite in Corinth would despise, that they would say, they would distance themselves so hard from and would never want to associate themselves with. And how do I know that? Because farmers were the lowest members of Mediterranean society. It's, it's not a cool thing now, like urban farming or shopping at your, I, I do local produce, you know. It, 
Back in the first century Mediterranean world, the majority of people were slaves and servants on large plantation-style enterprises. All right. Someone whispering? Huh? Pull it back some. Okay. Cool. Anyway, give it up for Big Phil. Uh, Always got my back. Um, So, yeah, they're on these large plantation-style enterprises. And the lowest ranking of the slaves on these plantations were the field hands um, who directly planted, watered, tended, and harvested the crops. They were the lowest of the lowest slaves. And for Paul to apply himself and Apollos to that would have been, like, insane. It it would have been insane. Um, Boasting and following a field hand would have been a ridiculous thing for the Corinth people. Um, It's like saying nowadays, like, I follow the guy who sneaks up on your car and starts washing it at a stoplight, and then they ask for money in return, right? Like, this is, I mean, that's the kind of, it's like, that's who, that's who Paul's saying I am to God. And um, that's like the lowest society um, level. And so that's what Paul's bringing himself to and Apollos to. So he's bringing himself low. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Paul is saying, let's not focus on the instruments. Rather, let's turn our focus to the one who alone produces the results, right? Paul's whole purpose here is to replace the affection and devotion of the members of the church in Corinth from human leaders to God. Um, We shouldn't worship our pastors. It's incredibly silly. Um, I'm sure I have two Super Bowl uh, examples here. Here's the first one. Because I'm a relevant pastor. Cool. Um, I'm sure you're all going to watch Super Bowl tonight. Maybe so. Maybe not. Uh, Amani's not. She doesn't care. Sorry to call you out. Hey, but when you watch the Super Bowl tonight, are you going to spend your time and your focus and put your attention and praise on the football and the cleats or the one scoring touchdowns. The, the football and the cleats have a specific role to play in this whole thing, and they both are important to the game, but neither one in and of itself can score a touchdown, right? Why would we put all this time on just football cleats and the football without actually praising the one who's actually doing it? Like, actually scoring touchdowns. So uh, Paul and Apollos have specific roles to play, and both are important to God's plan. But they cannot move mountains. They they can't bear the wrath of God on their shoulders for your sin. They could not defeat death and conquer sin. And they don't sit at the right hand of the Father and have the whole universe underneath their feet. So, no, we're not going to worship Paul and Apollos, we're not going to worship pastors. That's silly. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but neither can make it grow. If Who's in here has ever planted a garden? Anybody? I see some hands. If you've ever planted a garden, you know growth is not automatic, right? It, it seems so easy, but we've tried to plant a garden, uh, I think last fall, and it was a spectacular failure. Um, 
you can do everything right and still not see any growth. And the crazy thing is I see the other side of my yard that's wild, and it, stuff's growing like crazy everywhere. And then I have my section out, and it's just deadness. And I'm like, okay, uh, obviously this isn't really up to me. Um, I mean, ultimately growth comes from God. And at the same time, there are conditions, people who are more skilled than me at uh, gardening, where you can foster growth even though it doesn't guarantee it. Does that make sense? So what am I saying? As pastors here at the Ville, it's not our responsibility and it's not within our power to grow this church. We cannot make you mature in your faith. Only God can do that. And if if God wants to do that, and if it's within his will and within his timing, he's going to do it. And that actually brings me a lot of comfort, and it should bring you a lot of comfort. Because I know we all have people in our life that we were like, man, I wish I could say the right thing that they would get the gospel. They, they just don't get it, and I'm not good at doing it. But that's not your responsibility. All we do is plant seeds, and all we do is water and, like, uh, you know, with questions and just hearing them and sitting with them. And we've done this thing, witnessing through weakness. But we don't actually have the power to make them grow. Only God can do that. Um, so if we're taking the building from last week and we're taking and applying it also with the field from this week, uh, we can say it is our responsibility and it, we do have the power to plant the seed of the gospel, to lay the foundation of the gospel through preaching, teaching, witnessing, all that. And then we water the seed, we build the sides by equipping the saints by, with fellow believers here at the church, that we actually have power to do that. <clears throat> and for me, I really, I really have been thinking about it more and more this year. I'm taking uh, that responsibility with a lot of pride and a lot of honor. Um, I, along with Jay, uh, and a long line of people have been working God's field historically from a macro level, like from the apostles to the church fathers to the reformers to the Puritans to the charismatic people, etc. And then we've also been in a sh much shorter line locally here on a micro level from Matt to Jay, from uh, Image to the Ville, been, been working the field. Now, through it all, God continues to give it life, and he continues to give growth to his church and his people, and we're just workers. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Okay, so we were table waiters, field hands, nothing. What's below nothing? Nothing. Nothing is nothing. That's the lowest you can go. So nothing? I mean, is Paul really nothing? Because when I'm reading this, I'm trying to hear what you're asking, and I'm thinking, like, you're saying, Jeremy, this is getting out of control, okay? This doesn't make any sense. Paul was obviously something. Uh, you, you know, we know Paul did all these amazing, awesome things. And <coughs> when you look around, you cannot tell me that there's no difference between MLK and a struggling Christian uh, relapsing alcoholic. That you can't tell me there's no difference between Mother Teresa and a convicted murderer walking down the green mile towards his death who becomes a Christian at the last minute. 
there has to be some sort of difference, right? <clears throat> yes, there is a difference. And this low, maybe even insulting evaluation that they're nothing must be read in context. Because from a human perspective, we know for a fact Paul was not nothing. The man was a boss. And when I say a boss, he was a boss of the faith. Paul was a boss. You can say it to yourself. Paul was a boss. It's kind of fun to say. Anyway, <laughs> got to get behind it. Anyway, I got I to gotta stop that. Um, but we're not talking from a human perspective here. We're not talking from a human perspective. We're talking about God's perspective. So if you listen to the radio show, our second show, I said this, and it helps me to understand what we're talking about here. Like, when we look at Mount Everest, it's the tallest point on earth, right? And when we look at the Mariana Trench, it's the lowest point on earth. Is there a difference in the height? Yes, very obvious. We can definitely see one's the highest point on earth and one's the lowest point on earth. But if you look at it from Jupiter, do you see any difference? Because that's God's perspective. Our perspective, yeah, we can see there's difference. But from God's perspective and God's holiness, all the same level, all low status, all servants of God. So Paul's not saying that believers should have loyalty. or He's not saying that believers shouldn't have loyalty and affection for those who lead or those who led them or those who nurtured them in their faith in Christ. He definitely says that. If you look at Galatians 4.15, it literally says, you can look it up, that the Galatians would have torn their eyeballs out and given it to them. Like, that's how much devotion they have to Paul. They're like, you tell us, we'll, we'll tear the eyeballs out. We'll give them to you. And that's insane. I mean, that's some serious devotion. And ministers obviously have value. Pastors have value. But when respect and fondness for human leaders leads us to looking at others with disdain, or it causes division within the church, or it distracts us from centering ourselves on the gospel of Jesus Christ to worship God and not worship our pastor. Paul has to point out that only God who makes things grow is worthy of our undivided gratitude and devotion. Okay, verse eight. <clears throat> the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will be rewarded according to their own labor. The one who plants and the one who waters have one, one purpose. There is no space for rivalry. There is no space for competition. There is no space for ranking among people doing ministry. We have one purpose together. We all share the same low status before God, and we are all working towards the same goal, to see God glorified, to see God portrayed and shown for who he really is, and to see his kingdom come here, now. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. There is unity and purpose and diversity in what we are all called to do. What are we saying? So we at the Ville want to be supportive and unified with the church in Jacksonville as a whole. We want to support our brothers and sisters in Christ in this city as a community as much as we can. And at the same time, we know we have a distinct labor, a unique work we are actually called to do that nobody else in Jacksonville is called to do. So we're unified, but there is diversity in what every church is called to do. So only God can determine what our responsibility is, and it's not for us to try to do 
um, <clears throat> we'll just try to work out who's more deserving, what church is better, who's doing it the best in the city. Because it's nonsense. It, we're all working towards the same goal, and we all have unique individual responsibilities. Now, when we get to the point they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, what are these rewards for? Why are they going to be rewarded? For how successful they are? For how they compare to others? No. Everybody is rewarded for their own labor. For your own labor. The only thing that matters here is what is God calling you to do? And what for me and Jay is, what is God calling this church to do? Are we really seeking that out? And that's the question you have to ask yourself. Are you actually really seeking out what is the labor God has called you to do? Because he's called you to do something. Um, do you approach God in prayer and asking for clarity of what that is? Are you asking him what is worth your time? And what is worth your effort to build on earth like we said and we learned last week? <coughs> and last week we also talked about uh, rewards in heaven, which is a dicey, a dicey uh, topic for a lot of people. And it's the idea that things that we can do now actually last forever, which is an amazing thought, that eternity doesn't start when we die, that eternity starts when you become a Christian, and then the things you do now matter. Everything matters. And that the things that are obedient and loving towards God and building uh, of things of his purposes actually are purified on the last day and shown for what they are, more brilliant, more amazing than what we even see now. Um, so it's not explicitly stated what this reward will actually uh, be. But I think, personally, it's fun to think about what it is. Um, and when I was thinking about it this week and reading about it this week, this new thought came to my head about what would we, what would we be rewarded for through our labor. And so this is kind of how I want to set it up because it's kind of a tangent, but I want to take us there because I think it's good. Um, it's a personal thought. It's not in scripture, but I'm going to go there anyway. Um, <coughs> let's say uh, you're learning how to sing. Do we have any singers in the building? Eh. All right, let's hit that uh, G note if you can. No, I don't even know. I don't know anything about singing. My wife sings. She's very, uh, like, we'll be on the radio and I'll just be listening to the song, and then she's like, I can't even sing. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. But let's say for you guys, you're learning how to sing, and you are spending hours and hours practicing and practicing and practicing like a classical song, like the uh, Star Spangled Banner, okay? And you're in the mirror, and you're thinking, you're like envisioning yourself singing for the big game, whatever game that is. And how you're going to hit all the notes, but you, like, you just you keep practicing, right? And now let's say the year is 1991, and then you and a friend who does not practice, let's say your friend's me, or does not know anything, okay, <laughs> watch Whitney Houston, this is my second Super Bowl reference, perform the national anthem at Super Bowl 25. The performance <laughs> is simple, yet deep, fundamentally sound, yet slightly cheeky. I, I don't know. I've read these critiques. I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, but the point is, the performance, if you haven't seen it, I, I actually a while ago watched this, and it, like, moved me how powerful her voice was. 
amazing how, and then I don't even know anything about singing, right? So the question is, in many ways, this performance was perfect, all right? Who do you think gets more out of hearing it? Me or the person who spent hours and hours learning and practicing how to sing? They're going to be the ones that hear it and just are amazed by it. So an easier one for me to do, I love track and field, and I was talking to someone yesterday morning about it. When I saw Usain Bolt in 2008 in Beijing in the bird's nest, I remember I was in my friend's mom's kitchen with my friend Kyle. We're looking at it live, and we saw him announce himself to the whole world by coming out in the 100 meters, and about 75 meters in, he looks to the right. He's running. Looks to the left. Looks to the crowd. Points at the crowd. Hits his uh, chest twice and then puts his arms out like Whitney Houston and crosses the finish line in a world record. <laughs> in a world record. <clears throat> so for a lot of people are like, wow, man, that's cool. That guy's fast. For me, I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. This is the greatest physical human feat of all time. It's insane. People don't understand that he stopped running about 75 meters in and still smashed the world record. That's how fast he went. He's pointing to the crowd, probably waving at his mom. You know, I don't even know. It was, it was just insane, right? Um, or like, does anyone know who this is? You, you guys don't get like goosebumps when you see him? Because I get goosebumps when I see him. Because this, this guy's name, um, Wade. And this last summer in uh, Rio, he broke the 400-meter world record in lane eight. Do y'all even get that? I don't think you do. You don't. But I do. I know how insane that is. And he smashed a, like, 20-year-old record in lane eight. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. So why is that so amazingly ridiculous? Why, do, why is this important for you guys to know right now? Well, in the same way, when we labor individually and also together for things that are eternal, when we practice the things of God, when we familiarize ourselves with true and good things, when we get to the other side and see the glory and splendor of what we were doing and how amazing God has orchestrated the whole thing, when we see perfection, it will be that much more rewarding because we'll know more about how amazing what just happened, happened. So that's just some food for thought. I just want to leave you there with that. Okay, let's move on. Verse 9. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Now, this seems kind of like a wah-wah. Cool. That's a nice verse. But if you actually translate this literally from the Greek, Three times in the verse, God comes first. And, in, and when you're in Greek, that's really important. Whatever's first has the most value in the sentence. So it translates like this. God's fellow workers are we, God's field, um, and God's building are you. Personal identity in the ancient world was defined by the question, whose are you? We define personal identity as um, who am I? But they would say, Whose are you? In, the, in a world where slavery was rampant, when wives legally belonged to husbands, when children legally belonged to the father, virtually everyone belonged to somebody. 
That's why Paul's not concerned with who the leaders are as much as whose they are. And they belong to God. They all belong to God. So it doesn't exactly translate to us like this, but if you know the writing that Paul's doing, Paul is actually going ham on God's possession right here by doing it three times in one sentence. We are all God's creation and God's story. That's what he's saying. And yet at the same time, we have responsibility in it. And this is a hard thing to balance. Um, it's, it's actually a hard thing to grasp. So Augustine once wrote this, and this is deep waters. Without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. Um, what Augustine is getting at is this constant tightrope that we walk here on earth. It's this tightrope between the divine and the human boundaries, right? It's an intersection between God being sovereign over all things and yet our responsibility to act. Um, it's, it's a converging of like God's supernatural power and our human effort in one spot. And it's a rather messy, mysterious place to live, but make no mistake about it, we all live in that place, okay? So to actually understand how this works, how God is over all things and owns all things and has a story going and how we as his creation actually fit into that and have responsibility how to act, we have to understand two questions. The first one is, what is God growing? Basically, what is God actively doing and trying to produce? And then we have... And then and only then we can understand the second question, which is, what are we building? Basically, what are we paying attention to and putting our time and effort and resources into? So what is God growing? That's the question today. What is he actively doing right now? What has he actively been doing since the beginning of creation? What is he actively pushing towards? Well, he's redeeming all creation from sin. That's his plan. And our obedience to him has a giant role to play in that redemption. God is the active agent moving and restoring his creation back to shalom, back to a place where God can look at his creation and claim fully again, it is good that there's no evil. His plan is to conquer sin once and for all and not destroy us while doing so and bring creation back in order and the plan to do that was through sacrificing himself on our behalf. When we take communion, and we're going to take it again today, because we take it every Sunday, and we do this ritual act to remind ourselves that, to remind us of our offense against God, our rebellion, our blasphemy against the God of the universe that we think we even can compare to this God who created everything, that we think we have, like, individuals say that it's like, well, you said this, but I think this. Like, it's so mind-blowing that we can even put ourselves on his level like we're equals. But we take communion because, guess what? It's to remind ourselves that our sin is forgivable, that God actually came to us, that he crossed over the enemy lines and stood shoulder to shoulder with his enemies, us, and that he was mocked, that he was beaten, 
that he was accursed, that he was spit on, that he was whipped, that he was tortured. The God of the universe took on all of this, that the eternal forever God actually experienced death for us, for all of us. And so we eat this bread and we drink the juice to remember that God was broken, like the eternal, almighty, all-powerful God willingly broke himself and actually experienced like spilling his blood for us. And we also remember that that wasn't the end of the story, that he actually overcame death, that he raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven, and that he is currently ruling over the whole universe, overseeing what we are doing here now. I think Paul was very deliberate in choosing a field and then a building to describe to these non-Jewish Christians in Corinth God's story. Because you have this field, right? And then you have this superstructure. Basically, the field is this garden, right? And the superstructure is this city. And in the beginning, there was a garden. And in Revelations, there's a city, okay? And that in the beginning, God decided to move humans towards redemption, okay? And Paul's saying that God has ownership over the field. And he has ownership over the building. And he has ownership over the workers in between. And that God comes first because God has initiated creation first. And that God comes first because God first initiated redemption through Jesus the Christ. And at the end, God will righteously be worshipped as the most supreme, most gracious, most loving, most just, most righteous, most amazing, most holy over all things. That is God's story. And that's happening. And we're in it, whether you decide to believe that or not. That is the true story. So the question is, that's what God's growing. What are we building? What are we paying attention to and putting our time and effort and resources in into that story? 